like I, I, have, I mean this really seriously here. Um, would you please look at the Connect card in your bulletin and fill that out and drop it off in the offering box? Or if you're online, you can do that on our webpage, sbctrucky.com. So we can get some info on you and we can pray for you. Uh, we have a lot of new families and a lot of new people uh, coming, and, uh, which is great, which is incredible, but we want to make sure that at the same time as we grow this way, we want to grow uh, deeper, we want to get to know you and, uh, and get you plugged in and, and all of that. We, want, we really want you to be part of the family. Amen? We're family. Did you know that? Okay, you're super excited about that. Um, a couple things before we get in. Uh, the word this morning, uh, you can go ahead and prep and turn to First Timothy chapter 6. Uh, we're going to continue our series in Timothy. I think we have, I probably got another uh, two or three more messages in Timothy. Then we'll do some topical stuff, uh, and then we're going to start Habakkuk in, um, uh, in March. And we have the ESV journal uh, Bibles in there if you want to buy those at the bookstore. Uh, and we've just restocked the bookstore. We hadn't purchased any new books for nine months because, you know, the pandemic and all that, trying to save money. Uh, and then my, my, the gal who runs the bookstore uh, gave me an inventory, and you guys were still buying books. So we were like, we're almost out of everything. It's all sp- stocked back up. So if you're looking for a good read, make sure you, uh, do, you check out the, the coffee shop there, the bookstore. Um, first thing is we support Travis and Amber and So. We talk about them periodically. They are uh, in Mexico. Travis and I went to high school together, went to a school of ministry uh, together. He got saved kind of through my family. And then uh, God put it on his heart and his wife's heart to move to Mexico and start assisting orphanages in Baja. And they've been plugging away, loving kids and all kinds of different orphanages. There's a couple different kids here uh, that they uh, support. Those are their own kids, the, the white ones. <laughs> um, <laughs> Those ones belong to them, and uh, they're a lot older than that now. Not a lot older, but they're a little bit older, quite a bit bigger, Um, and um, they're just doing incredible work down there. Well, one of the major needs they ran into is most of the orphanages down there cannot or will not take care of kids between the ages of zero and three, and so uh, he said, you know what? We're going to do it. We're going to tackle that. Through our giving and through others who partner with them, they purchased a piece of property in Baja bought it, just broke ground uh, a couple weeks ago, and they're building uh, the baby house first, which is where you're going to put the babies in there. Uh, and they've got a couple security issues. So he uh, reached out to our missions team and said, hey, um, we've, we need to get a, 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 this double-wide trailer on our property so we can hire a full-time security person and so we can house teams that come down to help us. And we can get a, 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 a double-wide for all of that for $15,000. And so what I'm asking of you guys, if you want to help with that, is on your, um, your, your tithe, if you want to support them, just write So Ministries, and we're looking to hopefully come up with that full amount so they can purchase that. Um, in fact, what's, what's really neat, uh, someone was talking to me about their stimulus checks. Anybody get a stimulus check? There's no way you got a stimulus check, Mavis. There's no way. There's no way you have it. Like, we're going to have a serious talk afterwards. You're not doing your taxes correctly. Um, so, what in the world? So, I was talking with somebody about this earlier, and they said, hey, I've got a job. I got a stimulus check. I got a job. I don't really need that stimulus check. So, they're going to send their stimulus check to Travis and Amber. And what they said is, I don't need the government to, to be stimulating me, but I will make sure the government helps build a baby house in Mexico. So, I think that's pretty incredible. <clears throat> um, so yeah, 
they're dear friends of the church, and, and some of you have met them, and you know they're amazing. Uh, another family in the church, this is the Schleusner family, um, and the Schleusners, uh, after being here for so many years, have decided uh, to pick up and move to Oregon where their, their son and daughter-in-law are, and so they're moving, and I want to honor them, Craig, uh, Greg and Anne. <laughs> Greg and Anne-Marie, would you come up with whatever family members you have here? I want to pray for you guys. We have a gift for you. Here's what's really neat about this family. They're the longest tenured uh, Sear Bible Church attenders in the church. They've been here longer than anybody else. <clears throat> so these are all true stories. There's a directory floating around of Greg and Anne-Marie when they were single, a church directory. Church was a lot smaller. Uh, it was just the two of them, got married uh, at Sierra Bible Church, had five kids at Sierra Bible Church, all five kids grew up in our youth program, uh, and now they're all out and about, and I know this has been an emotional uh, thing for them, and, uh, and we love them deeply. Here's, here's what I want you to know. Not only are they the longest attenders here, they have been a backbone of this church in more ways than I could ever mention. Um, they have served in probably almost every single capacity you could think of at the church, Greg has been a deacon. Anne-Marie and, and Greg have been part of Awana for 40 years. I don't know, how long have you guys been a part of Sierra Bible Church? It's been that long. When Josh Rupert's first Sunday. 41, 41 years. Yeah. Yeah. And Mavis is getting a thing. It's, there's all kinds of lies happening here this morning. Um, so... Uh, the, and, and I'll mention this a little bit in the message this morning. The um, uh, people like, like Anne-Marie and Greg, who have served in so many different capacities, is what really makes a church tick. They have not ever uh, asked for praise. Uh, they have done everything that they have done, uh, really kind of in the shadows. If the left hand does not know what the right hand is doing, uh, they, they have been true servants of Christ. And I know that when uh, they go to heaven, that the Lord is going to reward them in full. And, uh, and so we love you guys, and we're thankful for you. This is a check for $10 million written by Mavis. But, no, um, Mavis will never interrupt another service again. Uh, Lord, we just thank you so much for this relationship family. Um, Lord, we love them deeply. And I'm going to miss them. But Lord, they have been a testimony of your faith, and they have produced fruit upon fruit upon fruit. And so we rejoice, and we thank you for the season that we've had them. And I know that wherever they go next, they'll still have an amazing impact. Uh, Lord, thank you for them. And send them now with protection and love, and guard them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wanted to say something more quick, Mary. Uh, pretty tight on time, so. Um, afterwards... We're going to have some cake with them, so if you guys want to talk with them, and we're going to be next door and uh, hang out. I know Anne-Marie just mentioned she wanted to share a few things, so that'd be a good place uh, to do that. And then stay, uh, stay uh, uh, tuned in near the end, because we've got something really cool at the end of the service uh, that we're going to be a part of as well. Okay, you guys ready for the word? Yeah. You hungry? I'm ready to eat. I already ate in the first service. I want to eat some more. Um, hey, if you are new or if you're at home, uh, we, we truly love the Word of God here, and we have a high regard for it. Uh, we believe that it is God's speech to us, as we sometimes joke, if, 
If you want to hear God speak audibly to you, read your Bible out loud. Uh, And so I want to encourage you to stand with me if you have the ability to as we read from God's Word. Chapter 6, 1 Timothy, chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters is worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and a constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into the ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Lord, we trust now that the preaching of your word would be effective, that it would do a work in our hearts. Some of us, Lord, need a tremendous amount of encouragement, courage, and strength, and comfort. Would you please give that to us this morning? Some of us need reproof, rebuking, a call to repentance. Would you draw us away from our sin? and closer to you in this moment. We know, Lord, regardless of what our need is this morning, that you are more than willing to meet it. And we trust you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. A little background again, right? Do this every Sunday to try to make sure we we know where we're at in the text. But this letter is written from from Paul uh, to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. Paul encountered Timothy, uh, was most likely part of his uh, salvation and him coming to the faith. Paul discipled Timothy, and then later, Paul ends up taking Timothy and, and, and making him the head of this church plant in Ephesus. And all of a sudden, we find out that as this young, kind of timid pastor has been pouring into his church, that he's encountering all kinds of different issues in his church. He becomes this lead guy, if you will, and things start to get a little weird. There's an issue with the widows. There's an issue with leaders who have no business being leaders. There's false doctrine and false teaching, which uh, Paul literally says is demonic and wrong. He's dealing with the issue of how younger people deal with older people in chapter 5. He's just overall dealing with a lot of stuff. And Paul's encouragement in this season is, hey, Timothy, you can do this. Study yourself to, to be approved. Keep trucking, keep plugging away, don't give up, don't grow weary. God is good and he is faithful and he is gracious. Just hang in there and and just remember, Timothy, this is what the church is supposed to look like. Teach the word, instruct the word. I enjoyed last week Brad Beer's message and one of the lines he shared in his message that struck a chord with me is, there are many churches that no longer understand or know what a real church is. 
and what a false church is. The pandemic in many ways has revealed that in, in so many different ways. It has brought up, well, what are we doing? Why are we Christians? Why should we gather? Why do we preach the word? You know one of the things that's been such a blast being with you over the last several months? You love being here. You sing. You clap. The energy in both services is palpable. It's, it's, it's like nothing I've ever experienced as a pastor because you've basically had a lot of the Christians who are just showing up on Sunday to check boxes. Many of them are not coming anymore and may never come. Those who are concerned about the pandemic are watching online and they're still engaging. We still get a ton of views online. We're thankful for those that are tuning in. And then those of you who are here, you're just like, we're here. I can see your face. It's, it's important for us. It's, this, this book has been for us in the last several months important to be reminded of what God says, this is the church. And this is what you do. Take note of one of the things that Paul says. He says it multiple times in Timothy, teach and instruct. Right? Sundays is for teaching and instruction. Yes, we want people to get saved in our services. Amen? But primarily, one of the things that should happen on a Sunday is you as saints should be strengthened and comforted in your faith so that you would be the salt and light of the earth when you scatter from this place. Amen? That you would be a part of God's saving work. You know, Paul first starts out in the beginning of this letter, and he's telling Timothy, your doctrine matters, truth matters. You need to have good doctrine. You need to have good theology. And then he starts saying, but you also got to care for people in the church. Widows and orphans are a big deal. Make sure you're serving them, especially the true widow. And then he starts to really get in later in chapter 5 and here in chapter 6, just the integrity of Timothy, the, the fact that not only does Timothy's theology and doctrine matter, but his character matters, yeah? We want leaders that not only have great policy, but have great hearts, amen? And so Paul encourages them. First, first thing I want you to know this morning is that God, in regards to your personal life, God cares deeply about you. He cares about every aspect of your entire life. Did you know that? I remember hearing a story of a couple guys who were listening to some gangster rap going down the street. And as they passed the church, one of the guys turned the knob down, turned the volume down. And his buddy said, what are you doing? So this is God. We've got, we've got to turn this down while we're passing the Lord's church. Right? And the other, the other guy was like, okay. And the, the thinking there was that somehow God occupied the church and the space in front of the church. But a few streets down, that's not a problem. We can turn it back up then. Okay, now, now the issue with that is the understanding that, that God is, especially for the believer, everywhere, all times, all places, and he cares about every single action and thought that go on inside of your mind or that you're doing on a daily basis. In fact, I would argue that this is one of the markers of Christianity, that Jesus actually really, really knows you, and he's really, really interested in your daily life, and he wants to know what's happening on a daily basis with you and that you're honoring him in it. God cares about your work, and he cares about your thoughts. This message is going to be broken up into two parts, one on this Sunday, one on the following Sunday, about how God cares about us intimately. So two this morning, he cares about your work, 
and he cares about your thoughts about him. Let's start with work first. He starts out in chapter 6 as, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants. If that word bondservants, regard their own masters. Now, for those who don't study Scripture, those who maybe have a misconception of Scripture, even secular culture would say, well, I don't believe in the Bible because the Bible actually uh, is pro-slavery. And that's not what's happening here. Whenever you see the word slavery in Scripture, especially in Jewish culture, the idea of slavery is very different than our American ideology of slavery. See, in in the, the Bible, slavery was a common way of employment. In fact, it's estimated that those who attended the church in Ephesus, up to one-third of them were slaves. And under Jewish law, slaves were protected. They couldn't be slaves for longer than six years. They had all the rights of their masters, including Sabbath rest, to care for their families. In fact, slaves could own slaves. And the way that you would typically become a slave would be you become indebted to somebody. You wouldn't be able to pay off your debt And then you would become that bondservant of that master until your debt was paid off, right? Some of you have a little bit of debt, I imagine. You don't have to admit who you are. It's okay. Um, Well, it's not really okay, but it's it's something you got to deal with. And imagine if the the collector said, hey, you owe us money and you can't pay it. And they said, okay, Visa calls you and says, you got to come work for us at least for six years. That's basically what's happening. The Bible, the Bible actually has a lot to say about slavery, how you treat slaves, and how you pay off your debt, and why you shouldn't be in debt. The Bible is pro, don't be in debt, right? And so what would typically happen is that inside of Jewish law, someone would become a servant, and they would become that bond slave, and Paul is addressing them and saying, if you're a slave, a bond slave who's paying off your debt, Make sure you teach, I'm sorry, make sure you treat your masters well. There's going to be all kinds of different takeaways here. So let's, let's first talk about this idea of slavery just within spiritual context, okay? Do you know that there, there's the reality that everyone in this room is already a slave? Do you know that? Some of you, this might be fresh news to you. It might even sound offensive to you. But here's the reality of what Bible, the Bible teaches, okay? Without Christ, you're a slave to sin and your flesh and the devil. You can't say no to your sin. That's why some of you who don't know Jesus, you can't quit drinking. You can't, you can't quit lusting. You can't stop lying. You can't stop cheating and stealing. You're, you're a very dishonest person. No matter how hard you work, you're a slave. You can't work yourself out of that slavery. You're a slave to sin. That's the biblical language that's used. And then Jesus, who's the ultimate master of freedom, comes and purchases us with a price, that price being his blood, and he transfers us over into the slavery of the king of kings, that we become a slave unto Jesus. But that slavery is to freedom. That slavery is is to joy and fulfillment. It makes us more human. And only when you get that new nature, what the Bible calls born again, and you're freed out of the slavery of sin, and you're freed into the righteousness of Jesus Christ, only when you have that can you finally say no to sin. See, under this particular bondage to Christ, 
That is the only time that we finally can say no to the things that keep us in bondage and slavery. It is with the relationship of Jesus Christ we get rid of addiction, we get rid of depression, we get rid of the bondage that the world has around us. So if you're feeling in one sense that, that man, I can't, my flesh is controlling me, I feel like the world is pushing on me and I, I can't escape, you know what the solution is? Give your life to Jesus, make him master, and he will free you. Come on. So all of us, first of all, are slaves. Listen to the language from 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Oh, that's fun. Let me read it again. Submit yourself to the Lord's sake to every human institution. Let let me read it again. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to the DMV. Whoa, wait a minute. This is what he's saying. To every institution, submit yourself, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do, do what is right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence ignorance, foolish men. Act as free men, But don't use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as, here's the language, bond slaves of God. Bond slaves. 1 Corinthians says it like this. For he who has called you in the Lord as a bond servant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when he called is a bond servant of Christ, you were bought with a price. That's what I just mentioned earlier. So so you belong to Jesus, and you're this idea of a bondservant. What what does this mean? Well, Exodus gives us some insight of what this means. Exodus chapter 21. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. That his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost, and his master shall bore a hole in his ear through with an awl, and he shall be a slave forever. So when slavery was done right, bondservant stuff, not in the context of America, but in the context of the Bible, in the context of this day and age, let's be clear, there was abuses of slavery. There were. People were taken advantage of. So Paul isn't necessarily saying, let's fix this whole institution. That's not what he's focused on right now. He's not saying, let's fix everything, let's fix the institution. Rather, he's saying, let's fix the heart within the institution. Let's get the heart right. And the thing that that would happen when this was done well is if a boss, if a master was a good master and he cared for his slave, after six years had passed, the slave may say, I love you. You're like family to me. And I want to stay and serve you the rest of my life. And if that slave said so, if he he was going to do that, they then put a hole in his ear, a hole in the flesh to mark that he would be, that he is a man who has chosen to serve his master. And likewise, we as Christians, we understand that we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and through the piercing of the flesh in Jesus' hands, we now serve him. So here's here's the takeaway. Here's, Here's where I want to go with this. God cares about your job. He cares if you're an employee, and he cares if you are an employer. How many of you have a job this morning? You should be thanking Jesus, right? This is the day and age to thank Jesus. I have a job. 
Thank you, Lord, that I have a job. And what Paul is telling Timothy is, in your church, you've got to teach your people how to work well. In your church, you've got to teach your people how they are to interact in the workplace. So let's talk about the employee first. And if you're an employee, how good of an employee are you? Uh, can, can some of you remember your first job? You can remember it, Mavis? <laughs> Careful. Careful. Um, I remember my first job. My very first job was uh, at Taco Station. How many of you remember Taco Station? <laughs> okay, so those of you who know me, you know I'm a third-generation kid. My, my mom went to high school here, my dad, my grandfather, and so did the, the Martinez family. If you know them, they've been here forever. The Diaz family, they've been here forever. Mike Diaz owned this restaurant, and he hired me. I was 15 years old. It's my very first job, man. 15 years old, I'm ready to prove myself. I'm down at the taco station. If you, if you know anything about Mike Diaz, and I know some of you do, he, he is known for making some of the best salsa on the planet. It's gold. Seriously, it's gold. And, and, and I remember I'm in the back, and we've got these five-gallon buckets of this salsa everywhere. And I'm back there, and, and I'm, I'm stressed. I'm trying to do a good job. I'm trying to do it right. And, and, and I made one wrong step, and I dumped the five-gallon thing of salsa all over the floor. It's my first day at work. <laughs> Walk at the boss, you know, hey, Mike, we got a problem. You know, and he was not happy with me. Make things worse, a little later on the day, I'm sitting down, I'm serving a table. I reach over to this large group of family, and, 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 and I'm giving her her drink, and I accidentally spilled it all over them. And the lady goes, huh, it's okay, it's okay. She's being really polite, it's okay. Just take it out of your tip, you know, it's all right. <laughs> and she was joking. I thought, okay, I'm just, you know, all right, I'm so sorry. I'll go get you another one. So I went and got another one, came back out, spilled it all over again. <laughs> yeah. At that point, she looked at me and said, no tip. <laughs> and I said, uh, that's, that seems reasonable. It's a reasonable thing. <clears throat> I wanted to prove myself. Well, the Bible says, as an employee, you should honor and respect your boss. That is to say that you should live with God in view, that God is in your workplace no matter where you work. And specifically, you should work hard as an employee. You should show up early. You should do your job well. You should go above and beyond. You should have a good work ethic. And the scripture literally says, because when you work well in your job, you honor God. You don't bring a bad name to his name. There's a, a great uh, quote that I found this morning. I, I got up really early this morning, had a few extra, uh, well, maybe an hour and a half or so uh, extra as I came in the office and, and just wanted to review my notes and look at some, over, some things. And I found this quote by Dorothy Sayers. And she, in, in this quote, in context, she's talking about those in the workplace, those who work. And she calls out the church and says, and nothing has the church lost her hold on reality as in her failure to understand and respect the secular vocation. Do you hear what she's saying? She's saying the church has failed to elevate the common vocational job, what we may call common, what we may call vocational outside of I'm a missionary or I'm a pastor. She goes on and says this, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him to, to not be drunk and disorderly in his leisurely hours and to come, on church, to come to church on Sundays. Again, let me highlight what he's saying. He's saying, 
what she's saying. She's saying, first of all, the church has not elevated the common vocational job. And secondly, when the church has talked about the vocational job, its commandment or its, its proclamation or encouragement to said vocational job is, please don't get drunk during the week and just come to church on Sundays and you'll be okay. It's minimized it. Then she goes on and says this. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. No crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever, I dare swear, came out of the carpenter shop at Nazareth. Nor if they did, could anyone believe that they were made by the same hand that made heaven and earth. I mean, you hear what she's saying? She's saying, she's saying hey, you, if you work on tables, if you're cutting hair, if you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, do it to the glory of God. Be the best nurse that you can be. Be the best worker that you can be because you will show the proclamation of who Jesus is. So you don't, you don't revile the name of God. Now, now, the question then comes in, what if I hate my job? Right? What if I don't want to make tacos? But what if I don't, want to, I don't want to cut hair? What if I don't want to be picking up trash at a construction site? I don't want to hammer nails. I don't want to be an electrician. I don't want to do those things. What if I hate my job? Well, here's, here's the first thing that you need to understand. You're not alone in it. Statistics say 70% of American workers hate their jobs. So that tells me most of you in the room, you don't like what you do. Out of those 70%, and I think this has probably been heightened, 90% of them don't even want to get up in the morning. Right? We, we know, we know as Christians, we're not just dealing with a pandemic of a virus, we're dealing with a pandemic of depression and suicides. I, I do know some people who know people who have died of the virus, but I know even more people who have died through trying to take their life. Just heard of another one yesterday. But people, they're not happy. Now, as a Christian, let me be clear on this, you are never to get your satisfaction or your identity from your job. You don't show up to work to get your personal needs met. This may be revolutionary for some young people here this morning. <laughs> you don't show up to work to get your needs met you're there to show people what God looks like. You're there to serve. See, the Christian's ultimate job, no matter what it is, is to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ, to make an appeal through us. Jesus wants to make an appeal through us to implore that people be reconciled to Jesus through our witness. You work at a coffee shop? Make the best coffee you can. You cut hair? Make the, whatever, whatever that is, I don't know, I haven't been to a, a hair person in a long time. It's been a long, long time. First Peter says, servants, submit to your masters with all respect, not only those who are good and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable. Hold on, right? This is why I love the Bible, because if you actually read it, it actually answers questions. What if I hate my job? You don't get your identity from your job, you get your identity from Jesus. What if my master's a jerk? Love your enemies. Oh. You know, one of the best things that can happen is for the church to be seen as hardworking, diligent, 
productive members of society. It's okay to get calluses on your hands. It's okay to work 12, 14 hours of work for the gospel to show people who Jesus is. When I was a youth pastor several years ago, the the rec department continued to reach out to me. Gal doesn't know Jesus. She's running the pool, and she'd keep calling and say, you got any more of those Christian kids to work at the pool for me? You know how good that is for me to know and to hear? That, that, that a secular uh, institution is calling the church because they know that Christians are going to be great workers. In fact, Paul even, he digs even deeper. He knows the heart of Christians. And that even though we love Jesus, we still fall short. Because if you notice, he says, he says especially now, let's be clear. Well, he answers the question, what if, my, what if my boss is a Christian? Don't take advantage of your boss if he's a Christian. Don't say, hey, well, my boss is a Christian. I can come in 10 minutes late. My my boss is a Christian. He won't fire me. He's a gracious person. He's going to be gracious to Jesus. You know what a good Christian boss does for another good Christian employee who's not showing up on time? He fires them so they can learn to be productive. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. I'm obviously working pretty hard. And in fact, Brad Beers touched upon it last week. He said, he said that the, and there's a reason why I had Brad Beers teach last week's message, because it was on how you should take care of your teaching, your elders and your teaching elders and those who instruct. And in that passage, if you remember, it actually says, it says about those who preach and teach, while they're preaching and teaching, it paints a picture for us with an ox and says, do not muzzle the ox while it threshes grain. What he's saying is, is it, what Paul was saying is you've got to feed the preacher as you would feed the ox. And what he was, I was studying this before Brad you know, taught it and realized what it was telling me here was I was reading as God was ministering to me, and I'm totally okay with it, is that a good preaching, teaching pastor is a beast of burden. He's to carry a heavy load and to put that yoke upon his shoulders and to cut straight lines day in and day out. And God shared something with me early on in ministry. If I will continue to care for the flock the way that God has entrusted me to, that you as the flock will take care of me. And you have. And I know that you will. Even if I go to prison, you're going to bust me out and all that. We talked about that (laughs) summertime. Um, To belabor this point a little more, Luther actually, who who again, you know, I I love the reformers and, and some of the things that they said in the past. Luther was known... In the transformation of the church, one of the reasons that the church had an awakening under Luther is not only because he went back to the gospel and he went back to scripture and said the people need the scripture themselves. You need a Bible at home that you can read. But Luther also talked about the common person, what they called the plowmen and the coalmen, the men who worked in the fields and those who worked in the coal mines. And this is what he said, to call popes, bishops, priests, monks, and nuns the religious class, but princes, lords, artisans, and farm workers, the secular class, is an erroneous device. For all Christians whatsoever really and truly belong to the religious class, and there is no difference among them except in so far as they do different work. A shoemaker, a smith, a farmer, each has his manual occupation and work, and yet at the same time are all eligible to act as priests and bishops. You know what Luther just said? He said exactly what Scripture said. Well, exactly what Scripture says. You are part of a royal priesthood. 
Whatever, wherever you work, you're the pastor there. You just hear a feather drop, right? You're the priest. In God's eyes, he elevates us all to the same station. It were to represent Jesus, represent who he is, and earn a good wage that we can honor God. Now, let me be clear on something because I think it's inferred here as well. If you are a boss, you own a business. You have an obligation from Scripture and grace to treat your employees above and beyond anything you could think or imagine. In fact, I, I, I was thinking of this uh, in the first message that, that one of the greatest places you could start work, you know where it's at? Like, if it's going to be your first job, it's not Taco Station. Trust me, it's not Taco In and Out Burger. In and Out Burger treats their employees, pay them a good wage, they get Christmas bonuses. I mean, you've never seen. Uh, so many people so happy to wear that stupid hat. <laughs> it's true. You know another place where you always see employees that are happy? Chick-fil-A. <laughs> right? Christian crack. That's exactly <laughs> what Chick-fil-A is. It's amazing. And if you disagree with me, go home right now. <laughs> Not friends. <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> I shouldn't talk about food on Sundays because what happens is every Sunday someone walks out and goes, I started to get real hungry right there at the end. Um, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing you need to know. Here's the thing that's important with this, okay? If, see, you know, if you look at the financial status of both In-N-Out Burger as well as Chick-fil-A, they have decided to shrink their margins, have less stores, higher quality fast food, and not have those margins so that their employees are taken care of. You don't want to know why, and I don't know them personally. I've met some who own franchises. Um, there's a gal who owns a franchise in Houston, came to our church for a little while. And, and um, you know why that's important if you're a boss? If you pay your Christian employees well, your Christian employees have more money to give to the kingdom of God. And if you're an employee of a Christian, you should work hard for that Christian so that they have more money, so that they can do more with that money for the kingdom of God. We'll get into it next week, but everything that you have belongs to Jesus, and you're a steward of it. You're a steward of those things. You own nothing. And that's what he says in the text. You came into the world with nothing, and you're going to leave with nothing. So we should use our funds and our treasures and our talents to expand the kingdom of God to the greatest length and greatest influence that we can in the Tahoe Basin and beyond. Amen? So we move on. Here's a scripture I want you to know in regards to this service, which I think is good as well. John 3.16. Have you heard about that one? Do you know that verse? John 3.16. I don't know if you know this or not. There's actually a John 3.17. I know. I know. And John 3.17 actually helps us make better sense of John 3.16. Did you know that? There is a John 3.15, but we won't talk about that this morning. Um, you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's amazing. But then it goes on and says this. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You know why that's important? Because the scripture, the text here, literally tells us how one gets saved. 
through him. Do you know it's not your job to save people? Did you know you can't save people? It's your job to serve people. See, if we serve people, especially our masters, and we work well, and as masters we treat our employees really well, and we serve, people will see that service as light, and that will be the greatest way that people will say, what is different about you? What is unique about you? If you have a Christian business, you, when people walk into that business, they should know this place has great service, great people. I just want to be there. Right? And I know some of you don't like In-N-Out Burger, and I know some of you don't like Chick-fil-A, but they're, it's a friendly place. I don't, I'm sure not everyone in there is a Christian, but Christian ethics has, have permeated through that organization. What would our culture look like if as an employee, your attitude permeated the gospel, and as an employer, your attitude permeated the gospel in your infrastructure, that others just want to come to you and come to that business and be a part of it, and then, and then eventually they get to hear why? It's because I love Jesus Christ. So your work matters, doesn't it? I hope you're encouraged to do more with your hands, encouraged to show up early, to work hard, maybe stay late. To go above and beyond. You know what that means, above and beyond? It, it doesn't mean you wait for someone to tell you what to do. <laughs> you go and do it without being asked. But then Paul goes into verse 3, talks about the attitude towards bond servants and slaves and masters. But then look at verse 3. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up. Now what he says in this particular section, he's saying, you know what? Ultimately what Paul is saying, the best way I can communicate it in our culture is, your thoughts about God matter. Your work matters, but what you think about God matters. Because what you think about God will inform how you live. A.W. Tozer, he actually says it like this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And Paul's instruction is, he says, you've got to teach sound doctrine. You know, if we say there's sound doctrine, you know, by the way, we're also saying there's false doctrine. Did you know there's false doctrine? Did you know there's teaching out there, even in Christian churches, that aren't true? That there's things that permeate inside of the church about God and about Jesus that are false? And and here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, not in our church. We're not going to teach that kind of garbage in our church. We're not going to let silly myths permeate in our church. And you know that, right? How many times have we said it? We're not going to talk about the silly myths in our church. We're going to talk about the gospel in our church. We're going to talk about Jesus. We might, you know what? I know it's crazy. We might not even talk about COVID-19 because we're so busy talking about Jesus. We might not talk about all the political stuff, even though it's permeating your brains, because that stuff is sewage in your mind right now. You need the gospel. You need more of Jesus. This is what Paul's telling Timothy. It's been here from the beginning. Don't get caught up in all of that junk. Don't get caught up in the false stuff. Don't get, let your mind get wrapped and warped by the world. Let it get shaped by the word of God and the grace of our Savior that is Jesus. Teach right doctrine, Paul says. Around the age of 19, 20, 21 years old. It's kind of like, for me, that was kind of like my, my black hole years. Did all right in high school, okay. Some of you would disagree with that that knew me, but 
I was even worse than that. Don't clap. <laughs> um, and you know, I've, I've shared with you, you know, I was a gym rat, and so I was in the, the gym, and um, I was talking about my faith with somebody, and this big, this big black guy overheard me talking about being a Christian. Real buff dude. He walks up to me and he goes, you're a Christian? I was like, yeah. And he goes, so am I. I was so relieved. So relieved. And, uh, and, and anyways, he said, I'm a Christian. Let's, let's get together. Let's start. I got a church I go to, and I'd been looking for a church in Reno. Hadn't really found one that I felt comfortable in. And so he gives me the address of the church, and it's a house church. I'm like, okay. About 20, 25 people there. We go into the house church, and we sing songs. It's all a cappella. I just kind of figured nobody knew how to play the guitar, so all right, we'll, we'll do a cappella. And then, and then after a few visits, uh, they said to me, hey, you know what? Uh, we want to we have a Bible study with you at your house me and a few other guys. You want to do a Bible study? I was like, oh, yeah, I'll do a Bible study. So he came over to my apartment, and, um, uh, you know, big guy, buddy of mine, they'd become friends with him. He seemed really cool. And the other three guys I didn't know so much, but they were going to handle the Bible study. All three, these three guys were all going to basically lead it together. And so we're in my apartment, and we're sitting down, and next thing you know, they start selecting these, these verses in the Bible to talk about that Christians, you know, sin and, and Christians and sin and, and discipleship and all of this. And and then all of a sudden, they asked me this question, do you still sin? I said, yeah, I, I wish I didn't, but I do. Uh, and, and they said, well, you're not a Christian. And they asked me, is anyone discipling you? I said, well, no, not, not really. Well, then you're not a Christian. Are you discipling anybody? I said, no. Well, you're not a Christian. And I knew enough, being a part of this church as a young kid, and, and from what my mom had told me, that what they were doing is they were telling me that I needed Jesus plus something else. So, and I literally asked them, I said, so are you telling me in order to be saved, I, I won't ever sin? Yes. And I need, you to I need you to disciple me? Yes. And I need to be discipling somebody? Yes. And if I don't do those things, I'm going to hell? Yes. And I said, you can go home now. <laughs> and they shunned me. They shunned me. I got kicked out of this church. And the result was that whenever I saw them in the community, they wouldn't talk to me. They silenced me. They wouldn't look at me. When I saw my buddy in the gym, he wouldn't even look at me. I got shunned. I would love for them to see where I'm at today. <laughs> and the reason I share that story is because just because someone says it's of Jesus doesn't mean it's of Jesus. Just because someone says it, that it's from the Bible, doesn't mean it was read correctly or interpreted rightly. And so Paul gives us some markers of good, sound, healthy theology. First of all, he says, it's sound. There's four here. It's sound. That is to say that it leads to health. Not just physical health, but ultimately it leads to the love of God and love of neighbor and specifically a deep love of Scripture and Jesus. Sound doctrine makes you want to read the Bible more. Sound doctrine makes you want to study Jesus more. This one's not in the text, but it's... it's it's one of my pet peeves, so I had to throw it into the notes. So take it for what it is, is Jesse's pet peeves. But sound doctrine is connected to Orthodox Christianity. And what I mean by that is, is that God, God has been working and working through his word and working through the gospel for over 2,000 years. Did you know that? That Jesus has been saving people from AD 1, AD 1500 to even the year 2021 and beyond. Do you know Jesus is still going to save people in this year? Lots of people. And we have history books to look back and go, you know what? 
These church fathers have been teaching this about this doctrine for, for hundreds of years. And all of a sudden, if someone comes to you and says, well, I've got a new way of thinking. No new way of thinking? It's the Word of God we're dealing with here. He wrote it. It's done. It's completed. It's sufficient. Amen? We don't add to this. We don't come up with new theologies and new doctrines and new ideologies about God. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so we have to not only study it for ourselves, we've got to go, you know what? God's been using really smart, intelligent men to be reaching people for Jesus for hundreds of years that we have access to. And I've had people say, well, those are just men. I know they're just men. I'm just a man, and you're still listening to me. God uses sinful men. He's in the business of using the foolish to confound the wise. And that's why I feel so comfortable in my job. (laughs) I know how God works. He likes to work through small things to make his name great. And so it's good for us to go back into Orthodox Christian history and make sure that our doctrine and our thoughts about God are right because God cares about what you think about him. Number one, it's sound, it's healthy, it leads to health. Number two, it's connected to Orthodox Christianity. Number three, its focus will always be Jesus. It won't be about a denomination. It won't be about a prophet. It won't be about a specific man. It won't be about a building. It won't be about a piece of property that the church may or may not own. Many churches meet in schools all across this nation. It won't be about how much money is in the budget. It won't even be about what you think of your church leadership and how it should be run. The church, the focus of the church, the focus of good doctrine, the focus of good theology is Jesus Christ. I have not labored well if you do not leave here with a greater uh, gratitude and love of Christ. I have not worked well in my sermon or in my notes. I have not worked well in the rest of the week. I have done a poor job if I have not elevated the glorious name of Jesus Christ who saves us by grace alone through faith alone. He has to be the focus. And then after that, and I think the order is important, he mentions the word godliness. That good doctrine and good theology will lead to godliness. What is godliness? Godliness is a life of worship, and a life of repentance. It's a life of change, even if that change is really, really slow. You know what God's into? Transformation. A good, healthy church is a growing church. It's a church where people change, where people get saved, but they also grow in their sanctification. I mean, one of the things that I just love being a part of is seeing people grow. Because that excites God. That's the heart of God. Now, as I kind of get ready to close here in a few moments, I have to labor this again. I I feel like I just have to continually labor this point. And that is the understanding of that we work for our bosses and we work for our masters and we treat our employees well and we, we really study doctrine and theology and thoughts about God and Scripture for one specific reason and one specific reason alone. It's really important for you to know a couple things. Well, first of all, let me just make it really, really personal for myself. I love being married. I love my wife. She is a blast. I mean, she, t- she, she makes me do things I would never do. My life is so much more lively because of her. I mean, I would be really bored if I wasn't married. And, and, and the thing is, is I, I desperately want, and I'm sure some of you really love with Jesus, you can, you can resonate with this, I want to be a good husband. I want to love my wife well. You know what's really hard about that is I know, I know I fall so short in that. 
I don't do it the way I should all the time. When Christ is involved and he's in the forefront of my mind, I kill it. And other times, not so much. You know what else I really like being? is a parent. I know that's surprising. The kids are hard. Kids are hard. How many of you have kids? Anybody think it's easy? Okay, I just wanted to make sure. It's hard. I, I love my kids. And I want to be a good dad. And I fall short as a good dad. I mean, just... Being around kids at times. We, we got to be a part of a birthday party down at a trampoline park yesterday. My four-year-old's bouncing around. His head's too big for his body. And he kind of wiggles in these like, places where like, he should break his back, but he doesn't. And then I'm just jealous because I'm like, I would definitely get injured if I did what he did. You know? I just love his innocence at that age. There's things about it that I just, I love it. You want to know something? Like, I, I do want to. And at times, I really do work really hard to be a good dad and a good husband. But, but can I be clear on something? I don't do it to earn God's love. In addition to wanting to be a good dad and a good husband, man, I really want to be a good preacher. And I want to be a good shepherd and a good pastor. I do. So many fall to the wayside. So many fall into sin. So many fall into false teaching and pride. I want to do a good job, but I don't do it to earn his love. I do it because I'm so filled with gratitude that he's loved me. You see, if you leave here and you think, man, I got to do a better job at my work so God will care for me. Man, I got to be a better husband. Man, I got to be a better wife. If you come to church to even be those things, to fight for those things, to strive for those things, to work and, and to be laborious for those things so that you would somehow earn God's love, you've failed. You've missed the point. Because the point is that he has loved me in spite of me. He is gracious to me and he is kind and he has saved me out of the pit and the fires of hell, not because I've deserved it. He's given me a new nature. He has born me again. I am a new creature in Christ. And because of that, I want to work hard for him. I want to strive to be the best that I can be. Not because I've earned anything, but because I have received everything. May that be what we walk away with this morning. That God would fulfill us. That we'd be so filled with love of Jesus that he'd come pouring out in every aspect of our life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we know there's a work only you can do in us. And we trust you to do it. As we leave here this morning, may who you are be elevated to us in a major way. Guide us, direct us, provide for us, keep us safe. Help us to be salt and light in this area, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, before we sing, uh, we get to do something kind of special. So, um, our church partners with what's called the Christian Missionary Alliance. The Christian Missionary Alliance is a very diverse group of churches uh, across the world. Uh, one of the things I actually love about being part of the Christian Missionary Alliance is how diverse it is. In fact, Wayne and I have preached at a Chinese Alliance church several times, so has Brad um, in Reno. And uh, it's just cool to be able to connect with, you know, just very diverse congregants and, and people and and uh, we're able to do more through them without them. 
And what we do is we give a portion of everything that comes in to the Christian Missionary Alliance, which helps us plant churches, takes care of other pastors, sends out missionaries across the, the globe. And so much of your funds, a big chunk of them actually, uh, we use to help uh, have a greater global impact. And over the last few years, Brad Knoll uh, entered into a process to be ordained through the Christian Missionary Alliance. And it required him to do a lot of things that, that he already knew and some things that maybe he didn't know. But man, he has been studying. He's had to write papers. He had to sit down for an interview process to, to grill him on his theology and, and all these different things. He's just been trucking away. And Brad Knoll has uh, finally accomplished and finished all of his ordination requirements. And the, uh, the offices of the, of the Central Pacific District, which is what we're part of specifically, uh, but the leaders of our particular district that oversee about 100 churches are here this morning to honor Brad Knoll and his ordination. And so, Brad, would you come on up and... Um, they love you. <laughs> And uh, I'm going to ask Wayne Spriggs, he's our district superintendent, to come up. This is Wayne Spriggs, along with Shannon Lee, his assistant, uh, and Edgar Castro, who's part of all of the, um, he's part of church planting, uh, as well as all of our Hispanic uh, stuff that we do. Hispan- how many, hey, Edgar, real quick, just so everyone knows, how many churches in the last few years, have we, Hispanic churches, have we planted just in the last few years? Uh, the last four years, ten. Ten Hispanic churches in the last four years. Um, you're part of that. You're, you guys are part of that. Um, those of you who give to this church, you help that, that happen. And so um, I'm going to pass this on to, to Wayne, and he's going to do an official ceremony for Brad that you guys get to participate in. And then uh, um, the elders, uh, in a few moments, Wayne will have you guys come up, and we'll lay some hands on, on Brad. So, Wayne, it's all you, buddy. Hey, friends, thank you for the privilege of uh, being here today to recognize what uh, God has done in, in Brad. You may never have been part of an ordination service uh, before, and I want to say to you that although we affirm today it is God who calls, that it's God who ordains uh, those who are called to ministry. And so, Brad, we're simply recognizing what God has done in your life. Uh, just before we uh, move into the ordination service, I just want to say a couple of things. First of all, I want to say thank you, Sierra Bible Church, for your partnership with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, with what God is doing around the world. Your faithfulness is paying off in great dividends to the glory of God. And, and you are not only involved in, in terms of what God is doing globally, you're, you're, inter, you're involved in what, what God is doing in terms of the Central Pacific District. And your pastor, Jesse, is actually serving as the vice chair of our district executive committee. That's a big, big fancy word that simply means... Um, this is the team that gives oversight uh, to our district. And so I want to thank you as a church for partnering with God and partnering with us in the district. And Jesse, thank you for your leadership uh, in the district as our vice chair of the district executive committee. None of you know he's doing that. He does it very quietly and very secretively. He drives down to Sacramento, to Woodland, and he's part of what God's doing. But we appreciate it, uh, Pastor Jesse, and we thank God for, for that. The other thing I want to say to you is that uh, ministry is not easy. You know that. And we ask you to pray for uh, your staff, for your team leadership here. And as we ordain Brad today, 
This is not the end, Brad. This is the beginning. This is just a, a point in the road where we're acknowledging what God has done. But please keep Brad in your prayers as, as we go forward. So what are we going to do today? Well, we're going to get really, really wild and crazy. No, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to exchange what are called vows. Uh, any of you married here today? I, I saw a lot of, uh, of you affirming, you know, raising kids and all that cool stuff. So you remember when you got married, you came down the aisle, and the preacher in a, in a really dark suit, right, stood there, and he had you commit to one another. Well, Brad, we're going to have you do vows today. And I don't have a dark suit on, but I do have a tie, so I think that makes it official. And, uh, and th these guys here uh, represent what we call the Licensing, Ordaining, and Consecration Council. I don't know how people came up with those crazy names, but they did. And so they're going to also affirm today the vows that you are, uh, are going to make. And then we're going to ask the elders to come and we're going to pray over you. And then what we're going to do, we're going to pre present to you, Brad, a certificate that says you're now ordained in the Christian Missionary Alliance. So it's really official. And, and, we're, and we're going to affirm that uh, today. All right? You ready? Good, good, good. So, Brad, are you persuaded that God, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, has not only saved you and redeemed you, but has also called you? equipped you, and anointed you for the work of the full-time ministry in this church. Amen. Have you come to the point in your life, Brad, where you are willing to deny self and make significant lifestyle changes in order to more fully obey the will of God for your life wherever he may take you? Amen. Are you willing to deny the lust of the flesh and live wholeheartedly for Jesus Christ in order to model a lifestyle of holiness and righteousness in the midst of a godless and perverse generation? Are you committed to knowing and exalting Jesus Christ and to furthering the understanding of Christ, our Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King? Are you committed to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the winning of the lost, the building of the believer, the equipping of the saints, the, mo uh, the multiplication of workers, and the sending out of the called ones. Brad, I want to ask you, will you do everything in your strength and power to work towards the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the taking of the gospel to the ends of the earth so that the king can return? Ordaining council members, do you now recognize in Brad Knoll both the calling and the gifts necessary for the serving in full-time vocational ministry? We do. Ordaining council members, will you continue to support, encourage, affirm, and pray for Brad and hold him accountable to the vows of ministry which he has declared this day? Well, it's now our privilege to invite the elders and pastors of this church and your wife to join you. So if the elders of this church and pastors, if you would come along with Brad's wife. And Brad, we're going to have you and your wife kneel and face uh, the congregation. And uh, uh, elders and uh, ordaining council, if you'll gather uh, behind uh, Brad and his wife and uh, lay your hands on them. 
And uh, Pastor uh, uh, Shannon uh, is going to offer the prayer of ordination. All right, uh, let's bow our head uh, for a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks. Father, we uh, praise you for uh, your love and for your grace. And today we want to thank you for the life of our dear brother, uh, Pastor Brad. Uh, we want to uh, thank you for his parents, for his uh, spouse, uh, for uh, all those that you have built in his life, preparing for him for this very special occasion that you are calling him. Father, we are reminded in Second uh, Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 9, that uh, you have called us for this holy calling, not because of our work, but because of your grace and your purpose. Father, indeed, you have a purpose in the life of our dear brother, you have not just called him to be your son, but also as a minister of the gospel. But we know that as any minister of the gospels, uh, we are subject to the same type of uh, limitations, frustrations, and also temptations as anyone else. Therefore, we know that we cannot serve you just uh, based on our own strength and our ability. We desperately need you to be active in the life of our dear brother, uh, Brad. Father, we pray. We pray that you will keep him clean in this generation of corruption. Father, we pray that your word will be uh, uh, a lamb to his feet and a light to his path. We pray that your presence will be with him wherever he goes. We pray that you will anoint him uh, with your wisdom and uh, with uh, your gifts so that uh, he will be able to serve you with increasing effectiveness for your glory. Father, we also pray that he will be a good example for all the other people, the same way that he imitates the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, today we want to commit our, our, our brother to you and also to the word of your grace, which will build him up from now to the end when you return. Father, we pray all this in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We always believed in you, Brad. I don't the, care what Wayne said about you. Thank you. Thank you, elders and Which pastors. Wayne? You can be seated, and we just want to uh, have a presentation now to Brad. Uh, in order to be ordained in the Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, there are requirements that must be fulfilled, and uh, Pastor Jesse already referred to those, including an examination that uh, you successfully completed back in the spring. Uh, along with papers and uh, books that were read and other assignments. And uh, you demonstrated that you were approved by God, not by man, but by God. And so Pastor Edgar has the privilege now of presenting to you some certificates, and uh, we're going to call on Edgar to do that. Now, Pastor Brad, I would like to present to you these two certificates. One of them is the one of certification of your ordination, and the other one of your examination, where you have done a very well job. It is a privilege to me to present to you these certificates. Thank you. And so now, Brad, uh, you, are, you are ordained to the gospel ministry 
Uh, and uh, this is done in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We also thank God for your wife because we realize that she is a great partner with you in ministry. And so now you get an opportunity to share a word or two with us. God bless you, brother. Hey, friends. Um, what a privilege it is to be a part of this church. I was uh, just thinking as Greg and Anne-Marie are going to a new place. Um, I've been here since like 06, so I'm catching up to you guys. Um, but I just want you to know, like, I, I love you all. I really do. And um, I'll be the sensitive one. I'll take Wayne's spot and crying. Um, I'm here for you. Um, my wife and I have planted roots here. We plan on being here for the long haul until God calls us somewhere else or, or takes me home. Um, but I just want you to know, I'm, I'm, I'm in your corner, and uh, please don't ever hesitate to knock on my door. You guys know where I live. Um, you know where I work, apparently. Um, but I love you guys. Will you guys stand with us? We're going to join in song here in a minute, and uh, let's join in God's victory. I'm thankful for the Lord that, that he's placed me in your life, and uh, let's join in worship together. Second, friends. Sorry. Yep. For criminals and every Pharisee, you came for hypocrites, even one like me. 